Well, it's a, it's a great pleasure. This is, I find that this uh, working from home thing, it has expanded our opportunities a lot. I've been connected, working across, working in ways that I wouldn't have thought of before. Exactly. And when you think about the success behind working at your own comfort zone and being in control of, you know, your space, you can actually see that there's a big reward when you're when you're happy with what you do in the first place, you know? Well, you know, you're saying control of your space, but I've got this crazy old neighbor who just bursts into song randomly. <laughs> He, he really can't sing. He sings so badly. And, you know, there and uh, you know, there I'd be like writing something really intellectual about artificial intelligence, and then all of a sudden, there'll just be this booming old man screaming through the bathroom. <laughs> um, so you know, it it depends how much peace you have depends on. You know, the medication your neighbors are taking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have to be careful because you don't want to be part of their their horror story, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I see that you have this podcast for creatives. Yes. My podcast, We Don't Play, is a podcast for creatives. We tend to create a culture and a society that derives creativity inspiration and educational value because we don't only believe in just talking on a podcast we believe that when somebody joins this podcast playroom they are offering value and they're leaving value on the table so over time we've done about a hundred episodes and we we it's it's way over a hundred but a hundred episode series and we're on the second season now for aspiring global entrepreneurs which started Last year, around March 31st, when there was the pandemic just started. So I was thinking, what can I do with my podcast? Because I don't want to keep talking, you know, so something came to me and I was like, I need to connect with people outside, bring them in and then see how we can connect. And it started like a like an idea. And I've been able to have a couple of people I've never met before. And I was even telling my mailing list that I've actually lived in more places and I've traveled. (laughs) You know, so I've I've lived in someone's experience for a longer time rather than traveling there. And this is what has brought us together. So you being here is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast, especially from Clubhouse. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. And I really love speaking to creative audiences about technology because I can almost feel like they're hair stand up in the back of
careers, I think, are about co-creation. So, um, you know, Netflix obviously is a tech platform, but without the creatives making amazing content, it wouldn't be as successful. Yeah. yeah Amazon also has great distribution, but their content is just not, you know, it's it's a number two, but it's not as good. Like it's it's fine, but it's definitely not as good. So this is why I'm so I'm so happy to be here. To essentially like, and I mean, I'm a I'm an Ontechie. I have a podcast called Tech for Ontechies, where literally we just explain technology concepts to non-technical people, because every company is now to some extent a tech company. You know, even a massage therapist needs to have some kind of booking platform where she's going to take bookings. So she needs to understand how that works and if she has a bit of an understanding, you know, the, the more understanding she has of it, the you know, then maybe she could end up creating a whole group of massage therapists who are using a product that she's created for them and then move up kind of move up the value chain. Exactly. It, it's a beautiful experience to see when your content meets the right eye because sometimes mm-hmm. people write for the wrong audiences and they wonder why it's not working but mm-hmm. it's all about the strategy and where they are that actually meets you in the middle mm-hmm. and so what uh, podcast episodes have, do you think have been the most popular for your audience in this uh, in the series especially during the pandemic that's a great question one of the episodes that really surprised me was what I was talking about in one of the episodes saying that you should eat your fruits every day. And this it's had... Your food every day? No, your fruits. Oh, I was like, I eat, I eat a lot of food. I think my problem was the opposite. It's like, slow down. Yeah, so it is, it's about, you know, reading and thinking about the effects that happen to your body when you actually eat those fruits. And I gave about a couple of fruits and people were like, I was shocked to see the numbers. I was like, you guys really want to know about fruits? Okay. You know, (laughs) random topic. I thought you guys would be going to, you know, empowerment, branding. And I'm like, you guys just want some fruits. Okay. You know, we can make that happen. So I saw that another person I brought on, she's an amazing bakery owner. Her name is Dagashi Bakes. That's her business. And People loved her backstory because of the connotation of Dagashi, which is, I think it's a Japanese word and it connects with what she does. So it was such an eventful, innovative kind of product. That's not just about baking cakes, but the story behind it. I was like, okay, people like backstories. And then we've had some esports industry talkers as well, you know, who've talked about esports and how it's changing the society today. And mm-hmm. we've seen that relationship talks is a big one. You know, that one mm-hmm. always has, has a lot of ears, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I love the creativity and I love the impact that it's causing because we deal with society and culture, not just a business approach. Mm-hmm. Well, I think business really uh, fits into culture. So I can, you know, begin by telling you a little bit about what I'm doing. And yeah. then we, can, we can go from that. So I'm onto my second tech company, it's called Techcon on Techies, and my main job is to bridge the digital divide. So essentially right now, people who are non-technical, so basically people who don't have computer science degrees or you know, are not data scientists themselves, 
there's this tendency for those people to just check out and just think technology that's for all these other people those smart people i'm not good at math i'm not going to do this i'm just you know i'm not going to do this at all so that's it and this is why i'm so excited to come on this podcast because a lot of those people identify as creative and it's this either or kind of like i'm either creative or i do this stuff there's there's really um you kind of you choose one and you stick to it so i am actually a non-technical person and i started my career in the media and then i worked in finance i worked at a private equity firm and then i got my mba at chicago base so that's at the university of chicago one of the you know barack obama was teaching there before he went into politics so it's a you know one of the top schools yeah and so when i was there doing my mba i really wanted to transition into tech because i was like this is where the interesting work is and also frankly let's be real about this this is where the money is yeah and i worked in private equity which is finance where people do make lots of money but literally i was dying like my soul was just like i don't I think I had like about 1% of my soul left when I like escaped that. Oh my. <laughs> There's no way I can't like I don't think I can get paid. There's no money in the world that will make me go back to that. But I still want to have a successful career and you know frankly I want I want a nice house and I want to send my kids to good school. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then I thought well thankfully finance is not the only way you can do that now. Um, so I thought, well, let's let's try technology. That seems to be where the fun is. And so as I'm at this business school, I start realizing that the business school is not teaching us anything about technology. They're kind of, I would say, a bit stuck in the 80s. So they basically they watched Wall Street and then they're like, okay, this is the way the world is. <laughs> and the way the the world was like that, but it just isn't anymore. You know, yes, Goldman Sachs and McKinsey they're still successful companies, but now you also have Amazon, you also have Facebook. You have these companies that didn't exist, you know, not that long ago. But also apart from that, you have interesting tech startups and jobs, you know, job titles that I didn't even know, like job titles that didn't exist when I was coming out of college. Mm. And And I was really, really annoyed because um, I was thinking, I've paid $180,000 for this MBA. Like $180,000, that's a lot of money, right? And I was like, and I, and you're teaching me about industries that, that are kind of second, that, that are basically secondary econo- in the economy, but also secondary to what I want. But you know, I'm already $180,000 in, so I'm like, I'm not going to pull out now. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> like, it's too late. I'm here now, so I've got to make the best of it. Yeah. And so that's how I decided to start a tech company because I was like, I'm going to transition into tech no matter what happens. Like, and anybody who's in my way, it's just like we're just going to have to like, get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided that uh, the best way to do this. was to start a company which by the way it is not the best way to do that like the easiest way to transition into a career is to get a job not to start a company but i'm an ambitious person and i also had like this foolishness of somebody doing something for the first time mm. you know you're like oh loads of people do this surely it can't be that hard right <laughs> sort of 
like, look, there are all these people doing this, and I, I could do that too, which I think is a good attitude to have, because otherwise you would never do anything, right? Right. And so, I somehow managed to raise some money and hire a tech team, and so I hired these developers, and I had this money, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to tell them to do. Like, I initially, I don't know, like, the basic language, mm. because tech, kind of tech jargon, it's got its own language. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when you hear developers speak, you're literally like, I understand the kind of the connecting words that you say in between those, like, us, <laughs> the, a, but everything else. It's like, gibberish. Know <laughs> you don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, and so I was just like, well, I'm, I'm the boss, so they can't know that I don't know. Mm. So I would literally be like in meetings, like, hmm, yes, 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 of course, very, very good point. <laughs> like secretly go and Google everything that people said, right? And then uh, take, and then I ended up taking all of these courses. Like I ended up doing this online course from Stanford on computer science, which I was really, really annoyed about because I was like. Got this MBA that I paid one hundred eighty thousand dollars for, and now, and apparently that wasn't enough. Like, when does it end? Right. When do I stop paying and get paid? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I ended up basically, I did end up co-creating products that have been used by thousands of people. You know, we were app of the day on Mashable. Grazia wrote that uh, said that we were one of the world's leading fashion tech startups. And as we got kind of users and accolades, I started writing in Forbes. Mm. And um, I wrote this article, which I just I just wanted to see if I just write it and just see what happens. And the article was called "What Non-Technical Founders Really Need to Know About Tech." And these were my observations. Like this is what I had learned, and it was also observations from other smart people who are non-technical founders who. It had some success, and that article became really successful. I don't want to say it went viral because I'm not Kim Kardashian, you know. Like I'm not at that point where I can say, "Oh yes, it went viral, and now I have a yacht." No, I sadly do not have a yacht yet. I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it it got to like many thousands of people within within a few days. It was best definitely the. Definitely the most successful article I'd ever had, and then people started writing to me, and like I'd written lots of articles on Forbes before, and I never had the emotional response. Like people were writing to me saying, "Oh my God, I'm a non-technical founder too. This is so useful," or "Or I want to be a tech. I want to start a tech company. I have no idea how to do it." And I didn't think it was a possibility for me.、Mm. And now you've told me that yes, it's going to be hard, and yes, I'm going to have to learn some stuff. But you've widened my horizons, and so I kind of became the patron saint of non-technical founders. <laughs> wow.、Um, which was a surprise. And after that, I just started doing events because people were asking me questions, and I just thought, well, instead of having a one-on-one coffee, why don't I just do an event? And then the events became bigger, and the And then I started charging for them, and people were still coming. And I was like, "Oh, that's a good thing." <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the events became a course, 
and uh, somebody from London Business School, which is the top business school in Europe, asked me to come to speak to basically teach them, teach my course, and so I said yes. And I'm teaching there for the third year in a row, actually in May. Wow! Congratulations. That's how Tech for Techies was born. So there's an online course, there's a membership, there's a podcast, which is you know which is free. So for anybody who's interested in technology and is a non-technical person, I always make sure to keep it accessible. And if a techie person goes on and starts using jargon, I literally say to them like, no, no, stop <laughs> this thing that you said. Like let's describe it in human language. Yeah, that everybody understands. Um, and this is actually this is what I've been really curious to explore on Clubhouse, which is how we met. Yeah. Because Clubhouse is this interesting environment. There are there are a lot of very tech bro type people. Yeah, I can see your face. <laughs> yeah. And the tech bros hate what I'm saying. Because essentially, like the tech bros right now, they rule the universe, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And whenever somebody is like, you know, the universe you set up isn't an entire like it's not great. I mean, it's great for you, but it's not great for everybody else. <laughs> and the moment you you say that, they either say, oh yes, we're sorry, we're doing our best, and then they just go back to you know, doing whatever, like drinking their champagne out of like some poor person's skull. Mm. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, but like, I, I don't really, I don't think that the tech elite is necessarily, well, I mean, it's a generalization, but a lot of them, I, I think, don't really care for the goodness of humanity. Um, because also, I don't think they've necessarily had to kind of struggle that much. Mm. Um, because I do think that if you do artificial intelligence at Stanford, then you just just good things happen to you. I mean, I, you do have to be a smart person to go there. Yeah. But there are lots of smart people who don't have the opportunity to go to universities like that. Not because they're not smart. It's because they don't have the opportunity. Um, right. <laughs> and I, I do think that the tech elite doesn't understand that yes they're smart people but the world has also been really geared towards making it very easy for them exactly i think so too because right now people value education but at the same time they don't really see the value of even reading or reading in between the lines like for me now i never thought i would have two master degrees now which i do and it's something that I don't even... Sometimes I'm like, did I do that? <laughs> because... I know what you mean. You're like, wow, go me. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because I, I really valued it. And I didn't see it in the beginning. But now that I've been able to go through this process twice, I've seen that all it takes is to be very critical about what you're doing so that it's it's easier for somebody else that's not a master to understand you because the whole point of you is to simplify that big jargon into an ABC formula. Exactly. I think that this is really the art that kind of you go into the wilderness of academia or a subject, you go into that wilderness and you learn things and then you come back to the people and you have 
have to speak to them and get them excited, but the only way you can do it is if they actually understand you. But also, I think, if they believe that you've got their best interests at heart. Yeah. And your audience knows you, you know, if you're doing a hundred podcast episodes and you're telling people to eat healthy food, <laughs> yeah. they know that fame has got their back, that you're not just there to just, I don't know, just to, uh, just to monetize them. They know that you, you care about them. And then I think people become receptive. Yeah, that's true. It, it makes a lot of sense because now you no longer think about the conversion, which is always your goal as a business, because every business has KPIs. They always know what they're looking for, which is standard. But the difference that makes one disruptive brand from another is were you able to connect that message in an omni-channel experience or were you the one that just told them to click here whenever something was ready to be sold? And people can tell when you're, you're being finicky. But you know, the, I've realized that there are some businesses that I actually really like giving money to, whereas there are other businesses that I hate giving money to. Like, I hate giving money to my electricity company. They constantly overcharge me. And I'm like, what, what choice? I don't know. I can't say bad words. But I'm like, you can. Yeah. For example, I have a coach, and you know that's a business. And let me tell you, it ain't cheap. And I love paying. I love paying the coach um, because I really I like this person. I like what they're doing in the world. I like you know they put out free content, and they also you know which which they can only do if they charge some of the you know if they if they work with paying clients that means that they can put out creative free content which helps people who can't pay yeah and also i'm like she's living this amazing life and she's got this white convertible in la and she's just like going around being glamorous and i'm like i like that and i think when we hire somebody to help us achieve something especially a coach I think it's important that there's a bit of us that wants a bit, that wants what they have, right? Mm-hmm. So I literally, I look at this woman who's like this glamorous woman in her white convertible and I'm like, teach me your ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I like paying her. So I think that especially a lot of entrepreneurs and yeah, especially a lot of creatives and you know people who are leading with their heart, tend to think that charging especially prices that they think are high is like a bad thing you know you're taking money away from people and i think that i struggle with that myself but i have seen my mindset change that yes there are some companies where i i feel trapped and like i have to pay them and i hate it yeah but there are other companies when I'm like, I want you to do well. I believe in your message. And if I'm in a position to pay you, then I, I love paying you. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm thrilled that then you can take that money and carry on doing your work. And also buy yourself something nice because like, you deserve it. Exactly. And if you think about courses, because 
I have a Pinterest marketing masterclass and I've seen two people from Clubhouse go through it and they've had completely different experiences. And I'm like, yes. So the, the Pinterest masterclass is something I had taken about a year to practice before I even launched the course, because I needed to know what I'm getting myself into because it's Mm -hmm. new territory and I'm an early adopter. So I really love creating something out of nothing, whether it's a Mm -hmm. website, whether it's a, a blog, whether it's a podcast, music and seeing the creativity process behind it. So something was like, I have a digital marketing background and I know SEO has a lot to do with Pinterest. So what can I do with visual search, which is today's AI system and Mm -hmm. connect that with the business that people are searching for organically. So Mm -hmm. I took Pinterest in, I did about five modules to show people how can you get yourself even on billboards as an advertising campaign strategy. But before you get there, you need to know what your keywords are standing for on the online search world. And I took that experience and I have clubs on Clubhouse. I have a club called Pinterest and SEO Marketing. And that club, we're able to dis, like decipher what people are, are, are doing with their Pinterest accounts and what they're using it for. And some people realize, I just realized they don't even know where to start. So I said, okay, maybe I've gone too far, like a tech guy, <laughs> and I need to come back to the source and give you about three videos that can really prepare you for this course. So I was like, let me unlock three videos that you have to opt in. And once you get the three videos and it's more of like an email sequence because I just don't want it to be, oh, click here. I want you to actually engage. Or when you sign into this program, it's a three course module. You can leave your comments there. And then by the time you're done with those three videos, you ask yourself, am I ready for this Pinterest course or not? Because I don't want to take your money if you're not even ready to start your own journey. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think that that's a really good, honest way to do things. But also, I have seen data that having this, but don't buy this if, actually converts more. I have literally, because essentially what it does is that it shows the person that you are honest and and this is who we want to buy from. So, for example, I um, follow a person called Dory Clark. She is uh, the thought leader on personal branding. Yeah. She's got a. She's she has now published four books, um, published by the Harvard Business Review, and um, she's. Her book on personal branding is called Stand Out, and she's got uh, she's got an online community which I'm not yet a member of, but I'm definitely planning to join. And when she does events or when she does paid things, and you know her stuff is not cheap, but she always says, you know, she she would always tell you kind of why it's good for you to buy something from her to to join her, but then she always adds quite a long bit about why kind of who it might not be right for or when is not a good time in your life to do this and so for example she's got this membership and it's two thousand dollars and last time she did a webinar to promote it she literally said if you are struggling or worrying about your mortgage payments do not sign up for this program (laughs) that's a trigger And I just thought, well, this is really good. Like, this is a person whom I trust. Yes. <laughs> because she doesn't even know the people who are watching the webinar. 
and she cares more about their well-being than you know getting getting two thousand bucks, which you know it's not a small amount. It's not. And and that's the kind of person that you end up kind of loving, and then just thinking, okay, I trust you, and so I I want I want everything. I'm just gonna follow you like the word of God. Exactly, and when you follow, you get direction, you get wisdom, you get understanding and it's not hard but i think the knowing like trust factor is so important because if someone sees you on an article if they've seen your name on a search result if you have a blue tick anywhere on your pinterest or your your instagram that shows that you've done some groundwork somewhere that someone has acknowledged you for that you don't need to say anything but the problem is people are not even confident enough to bring out their own selves and say, this is organically what I do. This is how I got here. And follow me for this. And I, I I dropped about two videos on my Pinterest stories yesterday. And I was like, sometimes you hide behind the screen so much that you forget to give values to people who are actually searching for you. So I, I did two videos. The first video was on how you can be able to use your Pinterest analytics and see what's actually trending for you and where you can capitalize on your interests and your impressions. The second video was how does Google Analytics affect your Pinterest social channel optimization? And they sound like two completely crazy topics, but those are the same exact things that we talk about in the masterclass that we've diffused. So when you know that you need to do this before you do the next thing, it makes it easier because my joy is to see somebody reach where I've reached or even further than I've reached because I was able to pass on that information with clarity. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think of Clubhouse? Because obviously you're uh, a specialist in Pinterest. Do you feel yourself to be a specialist in Clubhouse too? I feel like Clubhouse is a place that everybody can feel special But the only way I think you can validate that is if you can show results. So what kind of of results, what kind of things are you looking for, for example? My results from Clubhouse is pure networking Mm -hmm. and pure communication strategies. Because Mm -hmm. I realize that we can be on Clubhouse all day and not connect with one person. That's true. And you can also be on Clubhouse to connect with one person that's going to lead you into a plethora of a lot of people because you are now able to see that if you're in a room, if I create a room now in my club and I say I have five people as moderators, each of those five people have an individual experience and we're not talking about the same thing. So I would like bring you on because you have a completely different approach to what I'm bringing to the table. And then when somebody asks a question, just like you go to a company, you have the HR, you have the marketing, you have the legal So I can't answer all the questions, but I'm in the same entity, but on the same clubhouse, the same room, you can get completely five different experiences and then you make that judgment for yourself. So I've been using clubhouse to connect with people organically and it's worked, but I've also realized some people are on there to monetize right off the bat. And that's where people get kind of scared because like, okay, yeah, you have 10,000 followers on Clubhouse, but you have 600 followers on Instagram. So where do you come from? You know, so people start having those guesses. But I think because of digital marketing, I've seen that for me, I focus more on my website. 
I focus more on my site authority, my domain authority, my PR. I focus more on what are people seeing before they come in contact with me. And then they can now decide whether they can actually trust my information because I'm giving it to you for free before I ask you for something. Because I, I, my course is also $2,000, but I have another option that is about $700 that you can make three monthly payments. But I realize people usually go for those lower tickets because they are not sure. And since they don't know what they're getting themselves into, it's hard for them to break that bank when they know that that's the exact problem they need to solve. Yeah. I mean, to be honest... It's funny because I've got online courses. So the the non-technical founders introduction to tech, it is it's an online course. That's the course that I still teach at London Business School and actually I'm teaching the foundations of it now. Would you believe it? Or to the University of Texas in El Paso from France. Wow. And this happened through Clubhouse. No way. Yeah, yeah, it was I basically I have this I have, uh, I'm teaching a cohort of these wonderful Mexican students whom I love and I speak to them four evenings for what, it's my evening because we are, I think, nine hours, nine, nine hours apart. Okay. Um, so literally they're the people I speak to before bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm literally on Clubhouse on one of the tech rooms and I mentioned something about the course that I teach for non-technical founders and somebody from the University of Texas at El Paso was listening and they are doing a project funded by Blackstone and Techstars to teach the basics of technology and entrepreneurship for a pitch competition wow. and they asked me if I would lead, be the lead instructor and I was just like this is amazing like literally this is the stuff that makes me come alive because yes. it's like what I want to do in my life but not to, not just the company but in my life is to widen opportunities for people so because like i do think that i mean i've met a lot of people who are not particularly smart but who just had wonderful opportunities and so they get to incredible places and then they get some accolades and then they're kind of just falling upward yeah equally (laughs) yeah those people but i've also met a lot of people who are working really hard who are really smart and they don't even know kind of what to do so for example i've seen that um in some um, minority institutions, institutions like, I mean universities, a lot of minorities don't necessarily know that they need to take an internship during their summer vacations, like because it's just not a thing that people necessarily know. And if you don't take an internship during your summer vacation, it then really diminishes the kind of job that you can get when you're in college. Mm. And then that's your first job, and then you kind of end up being a few steps behind from the word go and it's really really hard to catch up and like people and that sucks right like a decision that you made when you were 19 right <laughs> but also because nobody told you nobody told you that like look yes this internship is probably going to pay you less than i don't know than the tips you would get at this bar but <laughs> this is going to pay off in literally 18 months time like do this yeah and if people don't get told this if nobody bothers to tell them then they don't know but like i knew that because my mom knew this system <laughs> and so if but if you don't know the system uh then it's it's not your fault but it's very hard to catch up anyway, exactly so this, uh, when this person 
from uh, from El Paso reached out to me basically said, would you do this? I was like, this is so in line with what I'm doing. I yeah. doing this. And I have not seen any other social platform that this kind of serendipity, an actual useful conversation, like a useful connection happens. I, you know, you can connect on Twitter, but I, I think Twitter is more about kind of building the relationships you already have and maybe catching up on the news. But I, and people do contact me through Twitter, but it's not at the same depth. It's not at the same depth of, okay, we know you, we like you, we know we want to do a deal. Mm-hmm. Which is generally what I've, what I've seen from Clubhouse. From other platforms I've seen, yeah, I've heard about you. I think I like you, but can we now have a gazillion meetings to decide whether we're going to do anything? Right. <laughs> That's what <laughs> well, it feels like. If we actually conclude a deal, we might all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think Clubhouse is very potentially ready for people who actually do things actively behind the scenes so that whatever you're doing on clubhouse is just a reflection of what you already are doing i think but also it sounds like you are i mean it's not just that it sounds like you are very proactive because for example you heard me speak in a room and then you just messaged me that's super proactive not i think most people don't necessarily do that no. Um, and I've also noticed that there is a lot of tendency for kind of people to, to get together and to, to talk about all the I don't know, all the bad things going on in their lives. And I think, well, maybe maybe this is necessary. I mean, I, I definitely do that, but I just I don't do it on a public forum. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know. If, the, if this is what people need to get through the day, then that's fine. But it's just important for people who are there to do business not to come into a room where everybody's kind of pouring their heart out and to be like, hi, and I've got a podcast. <laughs> exactly. I don't even talk about my podcast when I get on a stage because I don't want to seem like the person that is talking out of me just talking at you and yet there's a profile that explains everything so i think your profile as you speak should connect with how somebody perceives you and that's how i connected with you i saw your profile i've never met you before but i connected and i said if this is meant to be let it be sometimes people really they don't even respond and that's fine i shouldn't take it personally because i don't know them anyway so i shouldn't feel like i've been rejected but i should feel like maybe my approach was different maybe i should have said it better but of course people have first impressions so for me i decided to just take it on and i i've been doing it consistently and i've been able to connect with real people and this real connections are connections that when the world does open up you're go- it's going to help because later on, you never know. You may be in Atlanta next week. I may be in, you know, France the next week. So you, you realize that now you have someone that you've connected with out of a cold audience, literally cold. And yeah. now it's so warm that when you're actually doing business, you don't feel like you're doing it with a stranger. You know what? You're completely right. Because I'm now currently in love with El Paso and Juarez. 
I have never been to either, but I feel like I literally, like, I feel like when I arrive there, I have so many people who I love and who love me and who are running really interesting businesses. Yeah. And literally, I didn't, I didn't see myself saying this, but I think one of the first trips I'm going to take when, you know, US travel is open again is literally a trip to El Paso, which wouldn't have happened uh, for club, you know, unless Clubhouse existed, I think. Right. So you, it's interesting that I'm like, oh, well, you know, didn't see that coming. And I'm like, well, where else? Where next? Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Today I was uh, hosting a room with an entrepreneur, an AI entrepreneur from Australia. And I was learning all about Australian data laws, which, by the way, I think definitely Americans need to learn from. They're really strict. Wow. You know, Australia basically uh, restricted Google in how they, um, basically Google haven't been paying um they haven't been paying for media consumption essentially they basically said to like facebook and google that if you're going to be operating here we need to have a different agreement than you than have around the world um, wow. and i just thought well this is this is good this is this is this is good that i think you know i'm definitely pro-technology but i also do think that responsible governments don't just kind of give everything away and take tiny taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because now, you know, you have these billionaires um, and you have people who are struggling to feed their kids. And I don't see the, I don't see any reason why the billionaires shouldn't help out with that. Because that's what, that is what we call civil society. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why there's public schooling. Um, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though, and I and I think when we are able to dissect the the hard stuff and give people the easy bites, the easy nuggets, the reels, the stories, the feeds, the ads, that's when they can really connect. And when people say it takes about seven to twelve touch points, people literally think that they have to send it seven times. But that first impression really determines how many times they're gonna reach out again. Mm-hmm. because you know because i may say the first thing the first time i'm literally like disturbing your email list that i unsubscribe because i didn't get a chance to reach to seven because i was trying to wait for a, mom- mm-hmm. a moment that is not necessary rather than focusing on are you are you handling your bills right now are you struggling to start a business right now if pinterest is for you then this is what you need but if you're focusing on TikTok, then you don't need Pinterest. But mm-hmm. I'll still come back and say you still need Pinterest because it's a searchable platform. So it now plays with your psyche. Like mm-hmm. now, where am I supposed to be? And people mm-hmm. think it's overwhelming, but I'm like, if I could do it, then you can if you really care about your business and your future. Mm-hmm. Especially with now this instant gratification. I don't scroll to your post for 30 weeks ago, but on Pinterest, mm-hmm. I can show up on your feed two years later because I had something that was intentional about my practice. So this is interesting because I'm really not a Pinterest user. I mean, I tried a, a little bit and then um, I got bored of it. But I also know that most platforms are as good as the way you curate your food, basically. Um, so why is it that you chose Pinterest as opposed to, say, TikTok or Snap or anywhere else? 
The first reason why I chose Pinterest over any other platform is because every other platform is a social media tool, mm-hmm. but Pinterest is a search engine. Mm-hmm. And you can and you can get more value for your time when you search for keywords that actually are searchable within your niche market. And the mm-hmm. good thing with Pinterest business is that you claim your website and you can also have a pixel for your website. So when you integrate those two and you're driving blogs, you're driving conversations, you're driving links, and it's going back to your Pinterest you realize that people have more session duration times, mm-hmm. which lowers your bounce rate, which now allows more people to find you based on what they search for. So I'm literally killing two birds with one stone and giving you digital marketing tips. Instead of you looking for it on Instagram and you go on Pinterest, you're going to find a video from me, either through an ad or through organic feed, because I specify that digital marketing is where I want to really resurface. And then any other thing that that's around it is where I'm able to just tap in as a department, as a branch. And it takes a while to rank, but I love that Pinterest is so real time that Uh if you search for something today and I posted something today, Pinterest already gives rolls out, you know, fresh pins to people. So the fresher your pin is, the fresher you're able to produce content in a quicker succession, the more eyeballs you get and the faster your conversion rate becomes. And what about the audience on Pinterest? Am I right that it's women in their 30s and up? Honestly, Pinterest is for everybody, but there's this perception that it's only for women or mothers. But there's a, there's a stat going on now that about 40% of men are going in there because they're also looking for DIYs. There's health. I can see people doing like workout, fitness. It's very strong. And it's more like a society. Like you can't say Google is for women. It wouldn't even sound right because it's a search engine. But because Pinterest has looked like a social media, they've grouped it that way. Just like they group TikTok for kids. They just group LinkedIn for business professionals. So... Yes, they have those stigmas, but when you think about the audience and the buying power in Pinterest Mm -hmm. is high because a good percentage of people that see things on Pinterest are inspired to get that purchase done based on what they've seen. So if if I'm a non-branded figure and I'm giving you quality and you can Mm -hmm. see it, they won't have to worry if you're the next big Nike or the next big Apple, as long as you have solved their need and they actually like you because you're personable then they're gonna buy in and it takes a while to build that loyalty but when you think about the audience it's from 18 above because people are on pinterest but there's a difference you know like i have pinterest for business but you may have pinterest as as a user as an end user so you may not have the same tools but when you have pinterest for business you can add videos you can add stories And that's when you now become more excited. And you were saying in the beginning that Pinterest is boring. And I totally get it when you're on the end user. But when you're on the business side, you actually see it differently. And you can really narrow your audience and get the best out of your ad spend as well. Interesting. That's definitely something to think about. Yes. So I'm going to have to run a relatively soon to get ready um, to get my to get ready for my next class but is there anything else that you think that your audience would really benefit from from covering i don't know 
about the Technologic East podcast or just anything at all. Yeah, definitely. I would love for you to let people know how they can get in contact with you because I really want a lot of people to get into that non-tech tech world because they need it for basic knowledge. And I think you're the best person that they can ever, you know, reach out to. I would recommend you every day, any day. So, oh, cool. so yeah. Wow, that's a, that is a good way to end a conversation. So, uh, obviously, everybody who's listening to the podcast are podcast listeners. So, check out the Tech Pono Techies podcast and you know, see if it floats your boat. If you are on Clubhouse, then there is a Tech Pono Techies club. And I'm hosting office hours for non-technical founders every single week at slightly different times because there's an audience in Asia and Australia and they they wake up at a very different time than people in the US so just check out what times we have and then on Instagram Techpreneur Techies so come and say hi exactly thank you so much for joining the playroom this has been such a pleasure awesome have a wonderful day thank you you bye. too bye <laughs>